You're listening to the Four Rivers Podcast. Welcome or welcome back to one of the ways our church is leaving the building. My name is Wes Dillon. I'm one of the leaders of Four Rivers and one of many voices you'll hear on this podcast as we have a diverse and dynamic team. Four Rivers is known as the church that leaves the building and everyone, regardless of faith background, is welcome here. If we haven't met you yet, we look forward to meeting you sometime soon. The following message was taken from our worship gathering on Sunday, May 7th. This year, we've been working through the Lord's Prayer, and our goal has been not just get all the way through the Lord's Prayer, but to get the Lord's Prayer all the way through us. The theme is, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The following message was given by Jim Tebow, one of our elders. I'm sure you're going to appreciate it. Okay. Um, well, uh, welcome and thank you, Wes, and everybody. So as you can see here, we're going to be looking at thy kingdom come, and there is in small print there, thy will be done, because we may touch upon that, but the, the main focus today will be thy will, I mean, uh, thy kingdom come. <laughs> Hopefully I didn't screw that up. Anyways, uh, we should start in a word of prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to be able to come together here and to have you in our presence to be able to serve, to be able to learn, to be able to share, um, to be able to just be in your presence, to worship you. Uh, I pray for your presence here today in a special way, um, to be able to take this prayer that we have been studying, in particular this line that we'll study today, and in some way, shape or form, Lord, help us to see how we can better be representatives of your kingdom here on earth. So I pray for your presence and your blessing, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So kingdom. Kingdom isn't a word that we probably use every day. Um, so what is a kingdom? Um, so if you kind of look at it, it's the dome of the king. It's the domain of the king. It's the realm of the region where the king would have some sort of influence or some sort of persuasion or power. So I thought as a way of starting is we might look at some kingdoms that exist in our world. Um, so uh, anyone, the, the pink areas, any thoughts about what this might be? Uh, this would be the British kingdom. Okay? This would be an example of a national kingdom. Um, we find ourselves in one. Um, Britain had a rather extensive one. Um, if um, yesterday this I think officially changed but I would say over the last 75 years or so it might have been more appropriate to call it a queendom um, but um, that's probably a topic for another day um, <laughs> uh, any I don't expect anybody to know what this is kingdom. Very good. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I had a hard time not putting this in here because the, the, literally this was called the kingdom this was where the Seattle Mariners and I think the Seattle Supersonics played. They've since torn it down uh, 20, 30 years ago. It's been replaced by something else that's much nicer. But um, what would this be? This would be an example of a more regional or local kingdom. I mean, this particular thing would have been for, you know, this, a, a sporting sort of environment. Um, but I could just as easily uh, have put the state house in Concord up here. Um, this one, I, I bet you a lot of you will recognize this, some intimately so. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yes, this, this is um, our kingdom. This is where Kelly and I live. Um, this would be an, exa an example of a personal kingdom. So when we pray, and when Jesus asks us to pray, thy kingdom come, are these the sorts of kingdoms that he was asking us to pray for? Um, 
And I think it would be wrong to say that these kingdoms in and of themselves um, are anti-God kingdom. Um, but by no means is this what I think Jesus was asking us to pray for. Um, these sorts of kingdoms, the, the, the national, the local, the personal kingdom, um, these are kingdoms that are human kingdoms. These are kingdoms of the world, as, as I would refer to them as. And the way they function is more by what is, um, one author refers to it as a power over sort of a mentality, where the idea here is to have the most influence, uh, to have the most um, you know, control, the most um, um, influence, uh, you would be dealing with something where you have to outcompete people. Um, you have to have authority. You have to have something that would um, allow you to bring about your will over someone else's will. Um, and so the idea here is that you would have power over, authority over people to be able to bring about your will. Um, and so these sorts of things, oftentimes they're, they're with the military power, political power, financial power, these sorts of things. Um, so I don't believe this is what Jesus was asking us to pray for. So is this more along the lines of what Jesus would be asking us to usher in his kingdom? So this is a, a church, and uh, it would be hard to argue that this is you know, not something that's positive, you know, a kingdom of believers. But if we look in Luke um, chapter 17, verse 20, in the first half of 21, um, Jesus um, replied when he was asked, when will the kingdom of God come? It says, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say it is here or it is there. So just when we look at scripture alone, um, this is not to imply that a church is a bad thing, um, but this is not what Jesus was asking us to pray for, is oh, for the church or that building or something like that. So this would be my last kingdom that I put up here, um, perhaps. I could have put something up there that might have been easy to guess what it was, but I didn't want it to be super easy. I could have chosen several works of art. <laughs> Heavens. Um, yes, this is supposed to represent um, the idea of, oops, um, not tech problems. There we go. Um, so the idea of heaven, um, a destination kingdom, a kingdom um, that is um, on the other side of our life. So, um, as we just read, um, this falls shy on some level from what scripture would say in terms of Jesus just said, you won't be able to say, there it is. Um, so there's, on some element, this doesn't quite fit, but then Jesus' own words, if we look in Matthew 7, where Jesus specifically says, um, not everyone will enter into heaven, only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. So Jesus' own words are, are essentially saying there is some element of the kingdom of God um, being literally on that other side of our earthly experience, our earthly existence. Um, so how do we kind of balance these two? Um, well, before I delve into that, I think one of the difficulties that this has created for the church is this mentality, um, the mentality of that ticket to heaven, um, that we've accepted Jesus as our savior, so we have this entrance ticket into that kingdom, um, but then it becomes so easy to be diverted from the kingdom of God that we're gonna talk about more in a moment and get into these kingdoms of the world. Um, we, we live in them, and they're not necessarily bad, as I said, but 
they're not what God was asking us, what Jesus was telling us to pray for. Um, so there's got to be some sort of balance here. And so when we look at the rest of Luke uh, 17, uh, verse 21, the last half, right after Jesus says, you won't be able to say it is here or it is there, but he says the kingdom is already within you. So on one hand, Jesus is saying there is this kingdom of heaven in the future, but it's here now. So a lot of theologians, I think, frequently talk about this as the already but not yet mentality, whereas Jesus has ushered in his kingdom, but we're, we're not in its fulfillment yet, that there's some semblance of still working this out. Um, so uh, there's, there's this, this element of, yes, there is that future kingdom where we'll experience it in full, um, but that kingdom is already here. So am I saying that we are the kingdom? And I hope none of us will come to that conclusion because it doesn't say we are the kingdom, it says it is within us. Um, so there's something that we bring to this kingdom, but we aren't it. So after looking at all of this, what is the kingdom? So I feel like there's kind of three pieces to this. Um, in Matthew 3, uh, this is John the Baptist, and he essentially is saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand as Jesus entered the picture. So there's something about Jesus that is absolutely has to be part of this. And then we move into Matthew 10 with Jesus' own words. He says to his disciples, he said, go and announce to them the kingdom of heaven is near and immediately follows that with heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, give as freely as you have received. So there's something here about um, we are supposed to be proclaiming this. This isn't something that we hold within. And then it's followed by actions that bring about transformation, positive change in people's lives. That there's, there's some sort of, of, of power in, um, in, in, in adjusting or, or transforming what's going on within us um, and within the people that we experience. And then in Matthew 20, uh, Jesus called his disciples together. He says, you know what the rulers in this world um, lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. So there's something about the kingdom that involves taking ourselves out of that power structure, out of that kingdom of the world, power over, and says, you might literally have that. You might have been born into it like King Charles, or you might have been born into it because you were the son of some wealthy person or whatever. But the point is we are, as Christians, something about the kingdom of God means that we set that aside for the kingdom, that the kingdom is a, a serving under, not power, uh, power under, not power over. Um, so what is it? Well, the kingdom of God is not a person. It's not a place. It's the spirit of God that's working in people's lives. Okay? Um, another way of saying it, it's, it's when other people are served as Jesus would serve them. Okay? I think we, I could put it into these four uh, terms here. Basically, the kingdom of God, it looks like Jesus, it serves like Jesus, it heals like Jesus, and it loves like Jesus. And this is something that happens through us. Um, and we get to be part of this kingdom. 
and it's different than the kingdom of the world. So um, we proclaim it, we live it, we don't build it though. Paul Bart said that if we claim to see the physical kingdom of God, what we're looking at is a tower of Babel. So again, there's there's something different about the kingdom. It, it's not a a structure. It's not a building. It's it's a movement. It's a movement that works um, within us through the Spirit of God. So there were several things that I was grappling with for how we might talk about how this would might look, how we might live this out. So I was given by my soon-to-be daughter-in-law a book um, recently that really, really spoke to me. And so, as I said, there's several avenues I could have gone down, and this is the word that just grabbed me. And so it's the, the word that I chose to, to pursue. So the word comes from Luke 6, 34 and 36. Um, and when it says, Jesus speaks this, he says, Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid, and then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. Um, some verses use the word merciful here. Um, uh, I personally um, am more bonded to this version um, because I, when I hear the word merciful, I, I see it as something that is granted from a position of power whereas compassion is something that is issued from a position of solidarity. Um, and I see that um, uh, the, uh, oops, one step ahead. Uh, Jesus was uh, a great example of that. Um, so where, what does the word compassion mean? Compassion means, it comes from two Latin words, cum and pati, which means to suffer with. So we hear the word um, compassion, and oftentimes we think of it as a feeling. Oh, I'm, I'm really, really sorry that you're going through that, um, which is not inappropriate. Um, but compassion here is, it's going beyond feeling, but it's its literally to suffer with. Um, so this is something that I think if we um, want to, if I want to make the claim that compassion is tied to the kingdom of God, it's got to be tied to Jesus. So how did Jesus manifest this? Well, first of all, to suffer with, um, Jesus literally was Emmanuel. He came to be with us. Um, in the Gospels, there are 12 different times where um, the word that is used when it talks about Jesus having compassion on the people, um, the word there is it, I apparently interpreted um, compassion from the entrails, compassion from the intestines. It's a deep emotional compassion. It, it's a it's more than a just a feeling of sorrow it's it's like this this um, deep-seated um, wanting to reach out and touch and walk with um, so uh, on one hand this is part of why i think compassion is part of the kingdom of god another reason is jesus came where he had every power word that you could ever want to you know bestow upon someone he was the heavenly, you know, the heavenly Father. He was God. He had everything, and he set it all aside. He took on a human, um, a human. He became a human. He set aside all privilege, all position, and took on a servant, the role of a slave. Literally, he he could not have suffered more than he did, um, and he did it obediently. So this is something that his father wanted him to do, and Jesus didn't obey out of fear. Jesus obeyed 
because not only did he love his father, but he knew his father was nothing but love. So when, when we hear those whispers calling us to reach out in some way, and we take a look at all of the sacrifices that that might put upon us, and, and we, we hesitate, or as I can, to be honest, sometimes have literally turned away from doing something that I think the Spirit was asking me to do, deep down inside is that because I somehow don't completely believe that God is pure love that God has only positive intention that could come out of this um, you know that's a challenge that um, I think we all have to face um, so um, in this book that I was given um, there was the three authors talked about, and this goes back, I think, to the 70s, but they were interviewing uh, Hubert Humphrey, who I, at that time, I think he was a senator. At one point in time, he was a vice president of the United States. But they met with him, uh, and they said, you know, when you look at American politics, and when you look at American society and the American um, uh, business structure, he said, how do you see compassion fitting into it? And the book describes him as thinking for a moment, and then he went over to his desk and he pulled out a pencil. And he said, a pencil has its main point is, you know, the purpose of it is to take the point and to get your point across. And you use the point as a way of expressing yourself, as a way of getting your idea across. It's essentially how you compete. You get your ideas out there. Um, and you are trying to outcompete, whether it's a business sale, whether it's a political position, whether it's an international dispute. The point is <laughs> to get your idea across and to exert whatever power you have um, to get um, you know, some sort of uh, resolution that is in your favor. He says, but every once in a while, when you're using a pencil, you have some mark that is stray or something that you no longer want to align with. And so you do have to break out the pencil's eraser every once in a while. He said, to me, the eraser is like compassion. He said, it's something that you need. It's got to be there, but you don't use it very often. So when we look at the kingdoms of the world, and then when we look at the kingdom of God, and we look at us, where would Jesus want us to line up? Where would Jesus be asking us to stake our claim? Would he be saying, make your point, make your mark, compete, power over? Or would he be saying, your main goal is to be compassionate? Your main goal is to serve? Your main goal is to remove others' suffering? Your main goal is not to have the most comfort or to have the best ideas. Not that the ideas and comfort are bad in and of themselves, but if you gotta pick one, which one are you gonna pick? So I am, Steve, you and I have talked about this a lot, I'm a big music fan, but I'm really driven by lyrics. Lyrics really speak to me and, and God uses lyrics um, uh, quite often in my life. And so, Here's one uh, song from quite a while ago that has spoken to me quite a bit over the years. Uh, it's from a Jackson Brown song that says, Old people look around you. The signs are everywhere. You've left it for somebody other than you to be the one to care. You're, you're lost inside your houses. There's no time to find you now. This, these verses, unfortunately, have really, really... Um, I mean, 
been a struggle for me at times because when I look at my world, at my life, uh, and I say, how often am I in that national kingdom, that local kingdom, that personal kingdom? Um, and I'm doing good things. I'm busy. And I don't think I'm involved in bad things. But how often do I not even notice everything that's around me that says there's suffering there that I'm not even aware of? because I'm so tunnel visioned on the tip of my pencil. How often am I looking out at the world and I'm in the comfort of my house so I don't notice these things or I can't address these things because I need to meet the needs of maintaining my personal kingdom. The bills of my house or the, uh, the bank account that I need to have if I want to be able to retire. Yet. All I need to do is look at scripture and Jesus says, yeah, you've got a big barn, but you fool, tonight your soul is required of you. That's a struggle that I have and I imagine if all of us are honest, we all have to grapple with. Um, I wonder how often, if I'm honest, I'm not praying this. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what I should be praying. How often am I saying this? My Father, up there in heaven, bless my holy life. If my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as you work it out from up there. This is a, um, I think we all have to own this at some point and some of us have to own it perhaps, you know, more than others. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed how often um, when I am honest with myself, um, that I'm, I'm lining up too much with the kingdom of the world, and I'm not lining up enough with the eraser. So, um, I, I, there's several authors that I've really grown um, to love. I wish, I wish um, um, your husband, your your husband Amy was here today because I think he's a Chesterton fan. Um, but G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton, he said that it's been supposed the fullest enjoyment is extending our ego to infinity. But the truth is found in the opposite, in reducing our ego to zero. Um, if, if we're going to claim to be trying to usher in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, it is not authority and power, okay? it's servant. It's, it's, it's being the eraser um, is where our true um, enjoyment is going to be. I, I knew I would screw this up, and I love N.T. Wright's wording. I'm, the, the Brits have some wonderful phrases, um, but in his book on literally on the Lord's Prayer, he says, when we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done, he says, we are not praying for God to sort out our messes and muddles um, so we can be a cozy place. Um, he says, what we must be praying is God, make us a community of healed healers. Healed healers is what we're called to be. We are called to receive God's compassion in the compassion of the, the, the body of Christ that we walk this world with so that we can be healed and then turn around and be compassionate to other people. Because it's really hard to be a healer to others when we're broken ourselves. And so there's this, I don't know, this was a wonderful, um, when I read this, I just said, I've got to put this in here. Um, so um, where does um, this bring us? So um, looking to uh, live this out, um, it's, it's challenging because we're, um, 
we're called to be compassionate, yet we have these distractions of the kingdom of the world, which are real. Um, but we, you know, we know there are times where we're motivated and we do do it. But uh, Chesterton also said that the beauty in the, um, the of the beauty in the beast is that we we learn in that story that the unlovable must first be loved. Um, in in other words, um, if we don't choose to love, um, what we are um, not loving is never going to become lovable. Well, when we look at Luke six, when we're told to be compassionate. He was telling them to be compassionate to the enemies, not to people that we easily can love. He was telling them, to, you are to be compassionate to people who are unlovely. You are to be compassionate to people that you are not drawn to love. And, and that is hard. That is really, really hard. However, one of the real positives of this is how do we experience God? Well, there are many different ways I think that we have probably could point to in our lives that we've experienced God. But one of the real ways is we experience God through other people. We experience God in other people. Jesus himself says this. I think it's in Matthew 28 where he says, you know, when they were asked him, well, when did we do these things to you? He says, whenever you did these to the least of these. And he lists a variety of things for the sake of time. I didn't put it up there. Um, but essentially we experience God very in a very real way through our interactions with other people. I mean, so when we choose to be compassionate and to walk with someone through their suffering, that somehow we literally experience God through that process. So it is a way of wrapping this up here. Um, uh, Brennan Manning, who was a Franciscan brother, he died just a few years ago, but he wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel. And he talks, oh, and I, I need to, it'll make more sense if I share this thing. Um, with Catholics, when they do communion, they um, don't just believe that the bread and the wine are representative of Jesus. They believe that Jesus literally um, becomes embodied in them. So that will help, I think, understand what this story um, uh, has to say. So Brennan Manning was talking about how his brother in 1947 in France, um, they called themselves, I think, the Brothers of Mercy. But in 1947, one of the brothers had gone out into France. It was winter, it was cold, and he found a family um, with some young children, and they were homeless. So he brought them back to the abbey, which was one of the things they did. But when they got back to the abbey, the various rooms where they would keep families were full. Um, so he knew that there was one place that would never have people, and it was the place where they kept the Eucharist, the Holy Communion. Um, and he, in, inside, he felt like, okay, I probably um, shouldn't just leave it as it is. So he took the Eucharist that was in there and he moved it up to the attic, and then he put the family in there for the night. And um, the next morning, when his other brothers found out that he had done this, they, they essentially said, that was, very disrespectful to our savior. Um, and this brother looked at them and said, Jesus was not cold in the Eucharist in the attic, but Jesus was cold in the bodies of that family. Um, now, Mother Teresa said the same thing. Mother Teresa said that when I see the bread, I see my savior. And when I see the slums of India, I see my savior. She said to me, the Eucharist and the poor are one and the same. They're where I meet my Savior. So to wrap up here, there's something about being compassionate that brings about 
the kingdom of God. And living out the kingdom of God is what we're called to do. Um, and I, uh, it's a challenge. And we're, we're always faced with this kingdom of the world mentality that bombards us. And we have to exist in it. But can we exist in a way that better brings about the kingdom of God? I think we can. But we need each other to do that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your kingdom. I thank you that it is here and it was launched by you. I thank you that you allow us to be a part of this. And Lord, when we look around, we know it is not fully here yet. But let us not be dissuaded by that. Let us not be overcome by that. Let us be motivated that we are not alone, that we have you and that we know that uh, even when the kingdom of the heaven mentality might seem foolish, let us know that you use the cross, which to the world is foolishness, and know that we are following a way that is different and worthwhile. And I ask these things in Jesus' name.